Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for calling us to be your people. Lord, for giving us your word. And most importantly, Lord, giving us your Son. Lord, as we dig deep into your word this morning, we would ask that you break it small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we have gone through the sermon series on offsides. And we have dug deep into how the devil seeks to draw us across the line to cause offense and to go off sides. And there's no better place to end the series than in the end zone. I would invite you this morning, if you have brought your Bible along with you, to turn to our second reading from Hebrews chapter 2. You can also follow along with the sermon outline available for you. I love watching football movies. There is something about it, whether it is Rudy or Friday Night Lights or whether it is The Blind Side. Remember the Titans, right? These great, wholesome football, not always... Showing the best side of football, but the game. And one of my favorite scenes in The Blind Side is where things finally click for Michael Orr in the game, and he goes from being pushed around and knocked over to now protecting his family. And so the next block that he makes... He drives his opponent all the way across the line and actually through the end zone and then throws him over the backside of the fence. And when the coach says, Michael, where were you taking him? It's time for him to go home. You see, we have this amazing gift when we bear Jesus' name to do the same thing to the devil. Where we can actually bear that power in Jesus' name and tell the devil to stand behind us and to, in fact, go home and to stay away. Because victory is fought for on the field. And one in the end zone. The devil tempts us to forget our place above him in creation. You see, the devil has no more power than we allow him to have. As God creates Adam out of the dust of the earth... He brings everything, every creeping thing, every bird, every animal to him to see what he would name them. And then he says, you have dominion over every living thing that walks on the earth. 
and until the last day of all time, until the day where the devil finally receives his due and is cast into that lake of fire, or until we are called home to be with Christ in heaven, right? We still are afflicted with temptation as he lives and dwells here on earth. In our reading from Hebrews chapter 2 this morning, the author of Hebrews begins in the last chapter in chapter 1. And in the last few verses, he makes this distinction in creation between the Son, Christ, between angels, of which Satan is an angel, and of man. And speaks of the way that the angels are in submission and are subject to the authority of Christ. And because of that, the way that God creates man is important. It's different. It's set apart than anything else in creation. Because he gives him dominion. The writer says this morning in the first verse, and says we are called to pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. You see, unlike the devil, we are created in God's own image. And I say it this way because when we engage in conflict with one another, it's easy to forget that common sense of humanity, that common creatureness that we have between us. And that the way, as we have spoken of before, the devil wears masks and they look like you and I. And it's easy to forget who the monster is behind the mask. And so when we are war with each other across the aisle, when we allow issues to define the nature of our relationship of those around us. We forget the image that we are created into. God gives man over dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, in Satan's rebellion, he's cast out of heaven. He can't ever go back. His place is now to wander across the earth. His job is to be the accuser of men before God. He takes that upon himself. And so as he watches this relationship that God has with his people, with us as his people, 
And he sees the way that man rebels against God as well, and God casts them out of the garden. And then, unlike Satan, right, he says, but I'm going to give you a way back. He casts them out of the garden and promises a way of redemption. But God's way of redemption was more than simply hoping for the best with a Hail Mary. It was more than just saying, man, I'm going to throw this out there and hope that it sticks. And I really, man, I just, this, this has to work. No, there is a very particular way that God enacts his plan for our salvation. And in fact, in verse 8 of our reading... The writer says that this is done in putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside of his control. In other words, there are no accidents, there are no mistakes, and there is no coincidence in God's plan. Nothing is left outside of his control. The promise of deliverance by grace was given while we were still deep in enemy territory. Before they ever stepped foot outside of the garden, before God ever closed them, right? While they are still in Eden, And he hands down the curse to the serpent, to Eve, and then to Adam. He gives that promise that he would send one to crush the serpent's head. So that even though our faithfulness wanes, God still fights for our place in the end zone. We're not left to our own devices to figure things out for ourselves and hope it just works out. But instead, God intentionally intervenes and works His plan for redemption on our behalf. Our promise from Christ will not allow us to leave anyone on or behind the line. No man is free until all men have freedom. In a long walk to freedom, Nelson Mandela writes and says, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. The King of Heaven humbled himself to swallow up the bitterness of death once for all. that he might taste death, taste death for everyone. So we cannot simply cast off our chains 
and then neglect our neighbor still bound in theirs. You see, the dirty little secret is that we can't cast them off on our own anyway. We require that extra aid, right? We require divine intervention. Because otherwise we are left completely incapable on our own. The Holy Spirit works through us to proclaim this freedom that we have in Christ have in Christ. And so it begs the question, are our words and deeds consistent with our hope? Our acts of service are about more than just easing someone's suffering here on earth. But instead we are called to lives of generosity and service that are an outpouring of who we are in Christ. But we're nearsighted people. We see what's right in front of us and we fight to overcome it. We operate one play at a time and we can't always see the big picture at play. We only see as much of God's work as he allows us to. There are times where we say, well, God, I don't understand. Why can't you show me this? And then years go by and we go, I get it. I understand now why I had to do this here so that I can do this here. But when we're still stuck in the middle of the mess, we fight to see what's right in front of us. At present, the writer of Hebrews says, we do not yet see everything that is in subjection to him. We don't get to see the big picture yet. And we wait until we're in heaven and we have the joy of seeing the full victory over death and the devil. And so we love and we serve and we witness blindly we walk by faith and not by sight. And as the writer says, we trust wholly in him. Our end zone arrival carries us across the threshold. You see this part about all things being put into subjection beneath his feet means that even death itself has been subjected under the king's feet. So he walks with us across the end zone and straight into heaven. 
We talk about intentional discipleship. And over the past week, Evie Slider had been admitted back into the hospital. And when I had gone up to see her earlier in the week, she knew that you were thinking about her, that you were praying for her and loving on her. And she said, send them up here in droves. Fill this room. But see, that's an intentional act of discipleship because that wasn't for her benefit. That was for yours. See, death and dying are scary and frightening without the hope that we have in Jesus. And when we hold fast to that hope, then we are ready and waiting and willing to run into our Savior's arms. And anybody that has known Evie knew that she's been ready and waiting and willing to run for a long time. And on Saturday morning, she did just that. Send them up here in droves. See, models like this set the tone for how we should long for and look forward to the hope that we have in heaven. We are called and invited into worship as we engage in the story of our salvation to listen, to speak, and to sing his praise. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. His name is Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So that we can hold fast to that promise of eternal life that he proclaims to us. that no matter what we experience in life or in death, that God always gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.